So one time I just went green on go. <laughs> oh no, no wait, no oh, no that was it. So I was twatting around with um, this is changed very dramatically from what I was saying. We were looking after me and my missus were looking after her niece and nephew. And then I was looking after them when I've um, taken them to like temping bowling or whatever. And I just don't like silence in the car and I just didn't have the radio on or anything. So I basically was narrating the journey. So I'm just like making stupid noises. We get to the traffic lights. I'm like, oh, it's red. Red is stop. Red is stop. Green on go. Green on go. And then um, because I said green on go, I said that in one of my classes. Oh. And Jay was like, well, did you, did you say green on go? Like, I felt like I needed to jump out of a parachute. Right. <laughs> it's, it's a trigger. Green on go. <laughs> It's trigger out of moving cars. It's already green on go. Oh, it's going. It's go green on go. Oh my goodness! Sorry, I when not, you said green on go, I thought you were just talking. No, nah, it was green on go ages ago. Okay, so it's a, a big day today. We've brought a guest in. Um, we have Mister Free Pillars himself, the man with the free pillars. Um, you know, Sh- Milton Keynes' answer to Chabelle is the way <laughs> I like to think about. Um, Will PT Will Small Will. Small Will. We've had Big Will. How do you feel about being called Small Will? Are you okay with it or not? Yeah, I'm not opposed to it. It is what it is. Well, he just said, um, when PT... W- no, when Big Will is not with us anymore, when he dies, <laughs> he still wants to be known as Small Will. <laughs> Small Will. <laughs> and for those who don't know... Not PT Will. Small Will. Small Will. So this is one of those things, like, I definitely have, like, a body dysmorphia. Like, I look at several people and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's my size. And you've seen my quads. Like, that's not. Was it real? Yeah. We've got a reel out on Will and his quads. I yeah. feel like I'm a lot smaller than I am. Legendary quads. Yeah. Like if you if you were to compare yourself and your size, like you'll watch uh, sort of any sportsman and you try and like measure yourself up to them, and you think, oh wow, they're this big, they're that, and then when you measure yourself up to them, like there's several people where, oh, I maybe put myself as their height or their size, and then I'm really not, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> yeah. I'm, do you, want, do, you want to <laughs> do you want to disclose your weight? Uh, 97 kg currently. Fuck yeah, mate. <laughs> five foot six? <laughs> I'm joking. He's solid five solid foot six seven. foot. <laughs> <laughs> so there's actually not that much weight difference between both of you. Uh, I actually Ooh, think I'm just prior to Will leaving the club, I think he was, like, we, he was on the downward, ge- downward trajectory and I was on the way up. So, uh, You're trying to be replacing. Uh, yeah, to an extent. <laughs> That's good. Because um, Chris, you're currently sitting at 120 probably 106 kilos 106 kilos maybe 106 yeah nice that's a good weight and might I say with the with the beginning of the podcast when you were talking about pull-ups pull-ups are very good at that weight as well by the way they are I agree I can can do it I like how he wanted my uh, not so much approval but it was almost like as a witness he's like look (laughs) I can do pull-ups I was like you tell Jay about this he'll listen (laughs) you know you can do pull-ups better than Jay right <laughs> Who can do pull-ups better between you two? 100% J. 100% J. So it's, it's one of those things. You think everything <laughs> is... <laughs> everything is... Uh, it's uh, power is relative to body weight. And then as well as that, it's also proportions. I'm Jay's like a quite lower person. body dominant. And then Jay's just shins when you go past his, past yeah. his, past his waist. Past, my, yeah, I'm just past his waist, he's just shins. Just one, so three if, shins. If I'm setting up the physical 100 of you know, our little gym area where you guys obviously operate your two businesses, Circle of Vigor versus Free Pillars. I'm going to give you guys five um, activities that we should do to test who is the best PT. What should we be choosing? Who touches their clients more? (laughs) 
And that's Will. What, touches it? <laughs> <laughs> Emo- uh, I, emotionally I, or physically? Uh, I have a greater coverage area. Uh, I get to, yeah. I can go through many people in one hour. <laughs> You're doing group sessions? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> You've got a lot of vigour. <laughs> you can handle those group sessions. <laughs> James only doing one-to-ones. Yeah, he's doing one-to-ones. Um, he's, he's very intense one-to-ones though. Like it's just, yeah, he's... Uh. <laughs> 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 so, this has taken so, a yeah, turn already. Yeah. I knew so, getting you two together would be trouble. The, the, the problem is in the fitness world, like innuendo is very much paramount because you are trying to explain things and also analogies work very well. Great rack. In that sense. Great front rack. Yeah. Love a snatch. Your snatch is great too, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a beautiful snatch. <laughs> uh, we need to introduce this. So welcome oh, yeah. to episode 34. 34. Or, as we'll say, 34. Same age as me. 34. And if we have time, this right. This is the 34th 34. minute. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Podcast finished. Are you really out. only 34? I am only 34, yeah. It's been a hard four years. <laughs> Mate, I always think you're like, same age as me or older. <laughs> now I'm only 34. When are you 35? I'm in like a week. Like, you're about 10 years behind, mate. Like, you should have been there already. <laughs> I'm not far off, mate. Wow. I'm still just a wee, wee lad. Wow. Oh, nearly master two. Nearly. Mm, next year. You can go I'm getting some greys. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm. But I've been quite looking forward to having grey hairs. Why? I just think it's, a, you know, just makes you look distinguished, doesn't it? No. Depends how many you have. You don't think so? You've got a few greys. I, I, I dye my hair and I shave the you sides. You dye your be- hair? I used to. Did you not remember like me having green hair, green purple and... hair? Oh, yeah. I was yeah, thinking, yeah, yeah. you don't die now. You just, no, like, no uh, like now that I've grown it out, if I show you, like you can really, yeah, really see the grey. A very sort of uh, dark. But not much grey in your beard. I've got loads of grey in my beard, but none in my head. For anybody that hasn't met P.T. Will in person, P.T. Will is... A you look a bit like of a Baratheon, right? <laughs> you look like you should be one of the um, extras for the uh, Game of Thrones in the Baratheon family, I'd say. Oh, dark so, beards. Is, is it though? Hair. I don't feel like I'm tanned enough. Tan? The Baratheons. They're not tanned. No. <laughs> so, oh. Will, Will not, like are a, they tanned? Nah. No. They're very normal, well, no, aren't If they? you're thinking, uh, like what's, the, his, uh, like what's the, Aquaman? Uh, oh, Hawaiian. Yeah, but what's the actor's name? Like, I'm Jason Momoa. Of, Jason Momoa. I'm thinking like, you know, halfway to Jay. <laughs> tanned. <laughs> 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 so yeah um, look you, you, you've watched all of our reels on Instagram so you've seen PT Will yeah but it's mostly you've focused on his legs isn't it is, it's yeah. hard to look past the uh, quads so he's got samurai hair not a samurai beard because they can't grow proper beards the Japs can they <laughs> is that what I'd say I don't think so yeah when, when I originally I think <laughs> sorry the Japanese fuck <laughs> The Japanese can't grow proper beards, can they? They can grow their little. What you That's the style, though, isn't it? What? That's the style. It's forced style though. because they can't grow the sides. I don't know. I think they're very. Yeah, hairless. they're not. They're not very well follically endowed. Whereas the Turkish, they've nicked it from the J- Japanese. I think because <laughs> they they're supremely follically endowed. Bless yeah, them. Like Where I go to get my cousin, like, I go to a Turkish hairdresser's, and this guy has a full beard. <laughs> And he's got like three strands of hair, like Homer Simpson, like combed over. But you can tell he styles it and he puts an effort in. And I, I don't know. I kind of feel bad for him. Yeah. Because well, we said this about Aleem uh, last week or the week before. Aleem has lost his hair, but he's so hairy everywhere else. 
But that, that they say like with more hair, you have a higher level of testosterone, but you will lose it from your head. So someone like Wayne Rooney, who was hyper aggressive, yeah. you can see he's just thick beard and he's already had like three hair transplants and he's still. So I thought uh, the loss Is of hair. Is that true? Yeah, but I Wayne Rooney's had a hair transplant. But yeah, in terms oh, well, of testosterone no, yeah. levels, well, yeah, we, can testosterone. Your, uh, we can ask your we can ask your doctor brother. My brother, brother, doctor, brother, doctor. Whether or not it's a true thing that bold men is have higher testosterone. Can it be from I, th- I think it's more well? of like a correlation. I feel like it's a correlation because when you lose your hair, you get a little more, more angry. No, no, no. It's, <laughs> it's 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 a precursor. So by being higher levels of testosterone, that leads to the hair loss. No, I is think it also what low levels is, that can lead to it? I say think, that again. Is it imbalance. I think if it's low levels of testosterone and high levels can result in hair loss. It potentially can go both ways because there isn't isn't it the genetic component? It's like it's one or the other. Like yeah. you either go grey or you go bald. I don't know. I, I mean, you probably don't know because if your hair's fallen out, you can't tell whether it's gone grey or not. It's already gone. <laughs> That's true. It's a good point. I've just made a point. Argued it with myself. <laughs> you can't so even what, tell, Jay. Yeah. Well, welcome to the thoughts of Will. So what I would say is, PT will best ponytail in the club. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Lucky Sean. For, oh, the Sean. And uh, Delders has joined the club. Del- yeah. Oh, yeah, Adam Delders. Yeah. But he's a ginger. <laughs> so it's a, immediately knocked down a few levels. Disqualified. I was like, oh, you have great hair, but oh, yeah, you're a If redhead. Charlie pulled his hair back, he, he could. <laughs> okay. Charlie's is long enough for sure, but it's he just, just chooses curly. not to. <laughs> yeah. Way too curly. How come you stopped dying it green? It was green for a while, right? Uh, yeah, it's maintenance. You just did it for a... It's maintenance. Also, to dye them colours, I've got dark hair, so I have to bleach it. Yeah. Then to bleach it and then colour it, it's... You're always constantly doing the roots. Yeah. And then it destroys the quality of your hair. So I already lose enough hair doing jiu-jitsu, where it's a problem <laughs> if I'm then really destroying the, the quality of my hair. Although, fun, uh, fun story, at the height of lockdown, I absolutely loved The Witcher. So the main character in that, Geralt, for um, those that are unaware, he basically has long, stark white hair. I was like, that's my next look. That's what I'm going to go for. I'm going to go full Gordon Ryan, but, you know, long hair. Uh, (laughs) Turns out that's one of the most difficult colours to go for. So I've tried to bleach my hair about three times and it's still sort of more ginger at the roots and then starts to go more to like a straw blonde. Then as I've tried to apply like the dye to go uh, white, I basically ended up being like a horrible mangle of like slightly ginger with frosted tips. (laughs) (laughs) I think you should keep it as it is. I'm not going to lie. I've looked better. (laughs) (laughs) Well, actually, you've been uh, talking about getting rid of your hair i have yeah one of the you biggest things is like that especially hair. in jujitsu like I, i'm I think it's a good idea actually that's your look i love will's look but it's convenient for grappling well what i would say is that i spar with will often and there is always chunks of hair that gets pulled out <laughs> chunks of hair that gets pulled out like uh, that must hurt right does it hurt or do you, do you just man up and accept it or does it not hurt yeah it's more awkward at times because it's 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 weird positions where it happens because it's you might be pinned down and as you go to like shrimp out or move it's when you then have your hair caught and it's trapped and then it's not someone pulling it out it's me having my hair anchored and me going moving out the way oh yeah because i'll do that on purpose if i'm stepping over if i'm stepping over for an armbar or something i'm for sure going to step on that ponytail 
Well, yeah, keep it pinned down more. It's going to work a Be treat. aware of your surroundings. I was sparring with Charlie the other day, and obviously Charlie's got thick curls. And I'm sort of trying to root through for his collar to get like a baseball bat grip. And I'm like trying to move his hair out of the way. In the end, I was just like, I'm just grabbing it. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were just going to say like, oh no, I like Charlie. Like, oh, uh, I'll protect his hair. Will nah. I try and protect it a bit, but you know, I don't want to. You know, you should tie it up. I think that was one yeah, of. But even if you do, like Will ties his up, and it just comes out. There's got to be ways. I was thinking of putting on like the BJJ Fanatics page or somewhere where it's like, right, does anyone have any advice with like what you do with long hair? Shave it. Why don't you wear a rugby scrum hat? Don't wear a rugby scrum hat. Why not? It looked like a crash dummy. I I also feel... (laughs) (laughs) No one wears the rugby scrum hats for grappling, but I don't see any reason why you look Have you seen my big bow? I used to... (laughs) (laughs) That is a very good impression. (laughs) I don't know why no one wears these rugby scrum hats. I used to wear one for years when I played rugby. They're not that uncomfy. Are you specifically talking for rugby or for... For grappling. Please I think one. it's because of the material, you're adding an extra layer of something that can be gripped. And when you wear stuff like that as well, you actually oh, yeah, feel the grip do. underneath your neck. So for me, even, uh, I think I was six weeks into um, training at um, Southern Tribes and I basically had blue belt ears already. I had one ear massively swell up. And then I was like, right, I need to get the uh, sort of ear guards. And I, it felt like I was almost like a, I was like halfway through getting choked before I'd even started rolling because you've got it sort of around your neck and underneath your chin. Then as you move in that and it kind of rustles with you, like it's another almost distraction. But I feel like the ear guards are really bulky in comparison to one of those like flat scrum hats. Potentially, but even then it's, it's more even because the, oh. the, the scrum hat has equal padding all over. So Do you still wear one of those now? Those ear things. You never wear... I've not seen you train in one of those for ages. Did you give it, it up? It, but basically, I just felt like I was getting choked and then it was triggering more anxiety than anything. And I fixed I his like, ear, oh. mate. I fixed his ear. How? Mostly consensual. I don't think if someone wants their ear fixing, they're going to come to you. Or have I learned? I don't think they're so, going right, to look at you, you and be like, see. this is the guy to fix my ears. <laughs> so I, I know, that's I what got I got such like. mixed... Like, I got so much mixed advice where it was like, it was very traumatic for me at the time where I'm like, I've only just started... <laughs> I've got quite big ears already and like I've I've got like a um, I've almost got like a blood condition where I like overheal so like I create a lot of scar tissue oh really so because I create scar tissue I'm just thinking right if my ears are gonna like calcify and like I am gonna have like massive things like Dumbo. So like I was very very worried. I'm like I really have to be focused. So then like people like Tommy were saying like oh you know you got to ice it you got to compress it and things like that and I was like oh would be really helpful if those informations were like do one and then the other. So I'm like getting magnets, <laughs> putting the magnets on, smashing ice into my ear constantly. So much so that I was just I was feeling god awful sick. And then it was only afterwards, like three days later, I was saying it to Tommy, and he's like, oh no, bruv, like just you know put some ice on it and then afterwards then do like the compression or whatever it's like right that makes so much more sense <laughs> but even the compression is no good without the draining so if you look directly at chris chris can you see which ear blew up uh the left correct so you can see that bit there that he's got on our point of mine but yeah a little thin bit slightly bigger on that side so if it's, I not, was even the, it's do... not even the tops of the ears so where you've got like the little nodule of where your ear is like the, the ear canal yeah the canal. Yeah, mine, mine's like the base. I, like the, <laughs> the base of my left ear is uh, chunky. So on a scale of one to ten, it's for anybody that's like listening, Jay's cauliflowers are a ten. Um, yeah, a ten. Yours are like a two point five, right? Mine are still like unshaped. Mine are like a, just a little bit swollen. Yeah. Oh, I thought. Whereas Jay's you. are like hor- horribly disfigured. <laughs> 
can't remember who said <laughs> it, but you, yeah, Jay's, Jay's, are, Jay's are like, you, you're like, has anyone gone rock climbing? And the things that you put your hands on, yeah. those are Jay's ears. <laughs> mine, mine are like, my ears are big anyway, but I'd say like just on the inside of one of them, it's just yeah, thicker. Yeah, I'd, say, I'd but, say a 2.5 is fair. Because I did a yeah. bloody good job, mate. You did, so you drained it, did you? Drained it. What, with a needle? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. With a syringe, mate. Letting him drain it. Why not? Because look, it's fine, isn't I it? I have to say, all the rugby boys, that's what they recommend you do. You drain them. What? I know. I know, mate. So that's what. But why you know what they don't recommend doing? Handstands at what, 30 seconds oh, later? So funny, yeah. <laughs> so, just all right, so Will knew it needed to be drained. So I got. All right. Managed to get hold of some syringes. I'm not going to tell you where from. It's actually very hard to get hold of a needle and syringe. Yeah. Very Especially hard. clean ones. Yeah. So. <laughs> One of the guys that he's trained used to get him from the drug exchange. Jesus. <laughs> For these junkies that need new syringe and needle. So, but I've got other sources. Anyway, we got some of those. And uh, I was doing it on Will. I was like, Will, we've got a drainer. I've never seen Will look like a victim before. <laughs> he's sitting there and he goes, Jay, uh, just so you know, I, I don't want to do this. <laughs> No, sorry. but I was like, "All right, mate." You I'm pretty to- sure it wasn't consensual, but like, I'm not making a big deal out of it now that it happened. It's like, look, it's done, it's dusted. But yeah, at the time, like, I was so conflicted because I was in a massive fear about what was going to happen with my ears. I'm like, "What is the best option?" And you know, you all the feedback in the time. Yeah, that's true. Exactly. And uh, I didn't say I don't want you to. Uh, how to kind of I don't want to do I, this. Yeah, I said I don't feel comfortable with it, but I didn't like. I said if you're going to do it, you're going to do it. Like yep. I'm, I'm not going to stop you. Or very on brand, very yeah, on yeah, Russell yeah. brand. Just, just stick it in. <laughs> stick it in and do what you must. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, I did it. We drained it. Uh, it was fine. Got the maintenance to compress it. Then you did handstands immediately after because they the were doing it in my class. Ear. Yeah, filled up his ear. <laughs> <laughs> What literally filled up again? What blew up again? Straight away. <laughs> so what then you had to drain you had to drain it again? I don't think we did actually. <laughs> so when he stood up it went down again. <laughs> it was a terrible thing to do straight away. <laughs> so how did you guys get to know each other? Because you know each other before jujitsu, right? Is it's working at the uh, the academy? Oh, literally from the academy. Yeah, so Oh man, when, so you when must the, have when, had that when the academy first started uh so brad and dino started renting at the same time as my former business partner so they both kind of there was a bit of like a miscommunication where it's like two people have asked to rent from two different people they've both said yes and then it was kind of like oh we've kind of double booked so then they kind of come to the agreement like right you have that half we'll have this half uh from us starting up our business three pillars it was probably about a year into our journey, so about three years ago, where Jay was PTing at another site, and then when lockdown happened and there was like sort of lots of grey areas, like well, I need somewhere to train, and then you, I think you you asked from the rope club, and then he he came. On so board I was then. actually so when he first came on board, he was just having PT clients in like one section, and just straight away from that, it was just yeah, just you know, we have the yeah. same vision of fitness. You're there to help people get fitter, like that is the overall goal, and especially in like the fitness community it's kind of most people are there for the wrong reasons they're trying to look out for themselves and you know they want clients for them because they want the money from them as opposed to helping people so for me me and jay were fighting the same battle same sort of ethos so it just happened supernatural our principles completely aligned that's the thing and you didn't core values you didn't (laughs) 
eyeball each other because you're working in the same space to start with. You got on straight away. Not at all. Man. I think the I first it's surprising because two PTs. There is definitely a horrible culture, or it can be a horrible culture between PTs. Because more often than not, when you have PTs in the same environment, they are by nature competing for the same clients. Yes. So you're already creating a conflict. So let's take a standard place like. Uh, JD Sports, for example, they might have several PTs on board. Their PTs are paying a rent to then pay for their rent. Like they were just going to need X amount of clients to then pay for that rent. And then any more clients is like profit for them. But they might only be able to have the pool of clients that are within JD Sports at that given time. So they're almost if 5% of the population or demographic within that want personal training, they're all fighting for those 5%. So like there'll be people that will like steal people's clients if they're not getting results. And it's all a bit... Or can be. How does that work? So they approach the clients when they're in the gym. Yep. And they form a relationship it's, it's, with them. It's different from site to site. So where I used to work, if they had um, for that opportunity, you used to be effectively be like a gym instructor. When you start off as a gym instructor, you'd induct people into the gym. So that's your first port of call. Like you're literally having people handed to you to go like, look, here's the start of their fitness journey. And then you can breach personal training if it's something they'd be interested in then. And that's how you'd start to build a client base. Then as you get to a certain degree, you could then go, right, I'm now going to cut my gym instructing hours down. And then you'll only be seen doing personal training. So if you're, let's say you're a personal trainer at a local gym (coughs) and I'm not a member there and I approach you, I then have to sign up to the gym as a member and then I come and train with you there? I think that depends on the place. Depends on the place. But generally, yes. Yeah. yeah, which is kind of conflicted as well because from a gym perspective lots of gyms treat PTs horrendously so it's from their money from their sort of financial standpoint do we get one member on at sort of if they, they, they could get one member on let's say for example their member's paying £50 a month to be a part of that gym that PT is probably paying £400 a month to be there so, if you're looking to make money, would you rather sell, oh, you can PT here, boom, there's £400 a month, and you've it's basically done rope. nothing. Money fold rope, isn't it? Because so, they end up with a lot of PTs. Yeah. Well, they try to, and I think Jay's touched on it when he did his PT course. How many people were still in the industry within, like, two years of oh, you starting? Um, three or two four. Two out, yeah. out of time. about 30 or 35, yeah, there's so about three or four of us, and now there is only two of us. I think the statistic is one in 10 and it's the things like that where people are oversold what the results and stuff are without really understanding what it entails. Mm. Yeah. Well, what is it? it it's um, a lot of people did the course. Uh, they found it hard to leave their full-time job as did I, um, because it is hard to give up security of course. Um, but if you want to do it, you have to just do it. So most people didn't end up doing it, which is probably a good thing because the knowledge you acquire is, is all down to you. What what again? What are your what are your values? Will and I aren't about aesthetics. We're about making people fitter and healthier. We don't want it when people don't turn up. Some people think, oh, it's great. You get a free hour that's paid for if someone doesn't turn up. It's like, no, I'd rather earn that money. I'd rather PT and coach someone through the hour than sit there and do nothing. I have to say, I'm always very impressed with the people that come to your group classes. Absolute beast. It's a very intimidating part of the gym, that. It, it can be, but it's the whole thing is about culture. And everyone that comes to the gym, like, how many people have you heard where it's like, oh, do you want to go to the gym? Like, yeah, I do, but I feel like I need to get fit before I go to the gym. Because they've already got this aesthetic thing in their mind that they need to look like they're in place or doing this, which is where, as Jay said, it's always function first. If you are looking to get fit, you need to do 
actions that are going to get you fitter and healthier the best place to do that is at the gym because you are going to an environment for one purpose you're not going to get distracted you're just there do the work go and then it's formulating that into a routine the thing i love about the community environment is you're keeping other people accountable for and there's very much a hardship that happens if you're doing fitness with other people that they can appreciate that and then it's just keeping them more accountable in itself. So one of the biggest things that I try to incorporate by doing group training is I actually don't want you to care about your workout. I want you to care about the people next to you. Because if you only care about your workout, that's just me and you. You know, if it starts to fall short, like it's always me that's pick it, trying to pick you up. Whereas if I've got a class of 10 people, well, there's nine other people that are looking out for your workout. Yeah. And then there are nine other people looking out for someone else's workout. And... For me, the biggest part of like someone's fitness journey when they come in, the gym is like a safe spot where it should just be almost unconditional positivity. That should be the thing where it's like whatever's going on in their day, anything like that, they come here, that's their release, they're away from it, they're going to work out, they're going to get the benefits of that. And it's just, you don't need to bring that in with you as you come into the gym, it's just right, work out and feel good. And then they're like, because you leave and you've got that release. And how do you find coming in to work with that mentality because I'm sort of thinking of myself who has a very different working environment you know some days I struggle with the poker face I struggle to put the positivity on is that something you struggle with or are you naturally someone who you can just do it 100% I struggle with <laughs> like if I'm not in a good emotional state like people are very much aware of it and that can be difficult um, and I appreciate it. it's the same like wherever you go like some people can handle that well and other people like hide it well but yeah. for me it's that sort of lovely jive like right let's go get up and go. Like, I, I won't always have that at 6 a.m sometimes i will be struggling i will be a little bit quiet i will be a little bit sort of dormant but people kind of get to know you yeah. and then there's other people around where like they know why they're there because i think for me as a trainer as well if you need me to shout and scream at you to do another rep, you're at the wrong place. You need to have an internal drive to do that. I can help you move better, but I can't make you move. It's, it's like the whole thing of like, right, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a, a horse drink. It's, it's exactly the same for my view in fitness. Like I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you're not paying me to dip your head in the water. This is another value in which we align. We can show them the path, but they have to walk it. Yeah. So that is it. Are there old school PTs there that were like little drill sergeants that will shout at you to do your reps or is some, that, some people will that's what they pay for is that there's, there's, on so have you heard of like obstacle course racing no so obstacle course racing is you things know. like your nuclear race your uh, tough mudder oh yeah so yeah, 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 yeah. like you basically have a set of school some people pay for that some people will pay to actually do like military grade like things where it's like right you are gonna stand there like what was it um there was a program where they took several different um, military uh, groups into one thing and they did different training styles of each different military. And then it was like an Israeli, you're holding your gun out in front of you and you just hold it there and it's like last man standing. It's bonkers but, like, to me, mate. people will pay to just go through that mental hardship. It's strange, isn't it? And I work for a company did that. Um, <coughs> I, 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 I... You're talking about the British Army? No, I'm not. sorry. <laughs> so you know, we I went for another company. No, it was a company that did uh, military style training, the boot camps, and like uh, a regiment. Yeah, type company. yeah, exactly like that. And he wanted me there, but it's just rubbish. I, I don't like that type of training. That that that. And what you see is old 
school training. The new training in the army is very different. I think I said this, all their sports halls are now kitted out with racks and barbells and rowers and ski ergs and rigs and racks. It's so much better than what it was all by, so much better than what it used to be before it was just a hall. So you get thrashed about doing circuits in a hall and then get punished on a crash mat and do hill sprints and then get filled in. And some people think that's, it makes you a good soldier, but it doesn't make you fit. So we all came through injured. So clearly the structure of training wasn't very good. I think that's one of the biggest things the, the, from an industry perspective, this goes across many things. You are ultimately expendable. Yeah. So they don't care if they break you because there's another person on the conveyor belt that's going to come yep. in and take your place. Yep. It may not quite be the same in the military, but in terms of like a sporting environment, that's something that happens a lot because they just don't care. And that's the problem with some old school training. Like you are wrecking people because not everyone has the capacity to buffer that because they're not training correctly yeah. to have the capacity to buffer for it. Yeah, this is it. It's just, uh, yeah, we, we don't we don't believe in that. We don't have to shout and do stuff. Um, sometimes you need to shout at people at S&C. But even then, we don't shout at them. We, we encourage them. Ross gave someone a hard time. Were you there? Uh, yeah, and, you know, we're not naming names. This is Ross to ground. It's my mic on. Yeah. <laughs> so what did Ross do? <laughs> so halfway Ross through... Ross a different so of human being, though, isn't he? Where, where we're all working as a group, it was... This is jujitsu. Yeah, or, so right, I'm pretty yeah. sure that the circuit was set up. So basically, we were working in pairs, and it was two pairs. On, oh no, it wasn't. It was the step, uh, the one with uh, box jumps and step ups. I think so. It was four time. We have reps to complete. So three exercises, twenty one reps of each, fifteen reps of each, nine of each, or something to that effect. <laughs> I'm familiar with how you're supposed to drop the reps now. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, Chris did twenty one, then twenty one, then twenty one. We're on our third round of nine reps. Chris is I was like, Chris, you, what are you doing? <laughs> I've got to tell you about this. So I go to S&T for the first time ever. And, you know, because uh, normally I can't make it. Won't and make it. Jay and Cuzzy, they actually look at me surprised that I'm there. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to do my best to keep up with these boys. They do it all the time. <laughs> I'm never here. So anyway, first set, fine. You know, we're all about the same timing. Second set, I'm falling behind. <laughs> Third set, I'm like, I can't believe Jay's finished. How is he? I'm like, how am I so far behind? And I'm getting quite angry with myself. Because, you know, I am a competitive person. Wasn't even going and slow. I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted. I couldn't figure and, out why um, he's so far behind. And then I'm looking at the board being like, it says 21, 15, 9. And then Jay's, uh, all of a sudden Jay goes to me, are you doing 21 reps still? And I was like, yeah, I thought that's what we're supposed to do. Like, three lots of 21 reps. He was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. by then, it's too late. <laughs> but did you not question it? Because were you having any breaks? I didn't have time for breaks. No, 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 no breaks but in this by workout. That, by, yeah, so, by, so if you need a breather where you're like, right, I'm putting the weight down and going from one move to another. Like, there will be some times where you transition, where you can sort of catch your breath but if you are non-stop working like a metronome ticking over surely there would be question marks of well if it took me a minute to do 21 and jay was like a minute with me as well then second round he's finishing at like a minute and 40 seconds he's definitely cut rep short or somehow managed to make a move quicker or the obvious i'm substantially fitter than chris which he is so I, I knew yeah, he was going to be ahead of me. Yeah, five foot six, you only have so much to... <laughs> to short distance, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was exhausting. Anyway, so tell me about Ross at your S&C sessions. Oh, so where everyone is working together, like the culture is everyone has to finish the workout. Yeah. So if someone starts to slack, you are going to still go like, no, 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 come on, keep going. 
And then Ross just got to a point where those words of encouragement were almost a bit more forceful, where it's like, right, you need to have a minimum level of effort. So he was very, very encouraging to the extent of like, look, there is no way out. You are continuing this. All you are going to give is your effort. But, you know, I am here with you. And Ross, to his credit, I mean, I potentially have different views from other people to this, but then he was like, look, I will do your last reps with you. Yeah, so then like he joined. Like he joined him to do the last rep. So it kind of forced, um, forced. I nearly said his name then. Uh, forced someone that was uh, like struggling at the time to go through. But the thing is, you have to put the effort in. And when you are someone that goes through that effort frequently and has done, you can see what it's like when someone puts effort in. Mm-hmm. And if you someone's like, no, I can't. I'm tired. It's like you're not even breathing heavy. Get to work. Like you, you can work harder. So he he pushed him into that. Like he helped support them in that way. The thing is, Ross is someone that's, you know, he's a former professional athlete, isn't he? So he's used to pushing himself in the way that the normal human being that maybe has a desk job is not probably used to, right? Yeah, that, that's true. But I'm not still, talking from about it, the crazy human beings that come to your classes. No, but <laughs> I'm talking about normal people. No, but even then, I think that's a condition, like it's relative. Like you say it's pushing hard. Like I 100% think if you put yourself in a position where an, uh, a professional athlete has pushed themselves to the body, you will. if you were to feel and experience what they are feeling, you would be hypersensitive to it and you would just be like overloading. You're like, oh my God, I'll be in so much pain. But when you work out, you are working out to an intensity relative to you. So it, it can be as simple as a scale of one to 10, right? 10, oh my God, this is unbearable pain. One, it's easy I can do it all day find your solid seven maybe scratch your eight and that's where I want you to be so you can still gauge that of like right here's some symptoms I'd expect you to be out of breath yeah maybe some people might be out of breath at a five some people will be out of breath at a a seven but there's certain things with that that you'd still expect and yeah he was probably for my best efforts working at a four or a five at that moment in time that that's what we understand the four and a five in their head they were probably thinking that's more an eight because they are not used to that stimulus and that feeling. So to, to your, your scale of intensity changes, doesn't it? It changes as you get you get more used to um, that kind of style. So I'm just going to shut it off. Yeah, it's, it's familiarity, and then that's effectively what the conditioning is. Your body is getting used to it. Jay's about to give us the uh, weather exposure. update. <laughs> Jay's, Jay's got up to close the door. What's the weather like out there, Jay? It's uh, drizzling. Yeah. So we're still not a week ahead, right? So we're only a few days ahead. So a few days ago, when you're listening to the podcast, (laughs) you'll know that it was raining. Yep, on Tuesday it was raining. You you need a light jacket. You don't need a full coat, right? No, it's too warm for a full coat. (laughs) So I hope you didn't wear that. (laughs) I've seen Sienna to school with a uh, packable jacket, a packable waterproof. Proof. That's the way to do it. Yeah. She's she's on a school trip today. Oh, is she? Yeah. I don't know where they are. Oh, right. I thought you were going to elaborate. No. I thought you wanted to talk about... Oh, they learn about the Anglo-Saxons. So there's something in Stanterbury or some rubbish. I don't know. Stanterbury? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. I don't know. I don't don't even know what Stanterbury is. Have you been outside the back of Milton Keynes Library at Central Milton Keynes? No. There is an Anglo... And I'm using quotation marks that no one can see. Anglo-Saxon or something meeting point there. Anyway... I read the uh, the little thing that's in the car park being like, Anglo-Saxon meeting point. 
I said to the kids, oh, yeah, yeah, it's on the plank. Uh, it's the a plaque, isn't it? A bit of history here. The reason why you don't, it didn't spring to mind instantly this place is because it seems to just be a hill. <laughs> like, there's nothing there. There's literally nothing there. Also, there's also a distraction of everything else, like the infrastructure built around it. Like, the, the landmark that was there is now overshadowed by everything else around it. Absolutely. What's, what's an Anglo Saxon meeting point? A white supremacist thing? It's just a hill. Just You can wait here if you're white. So <laughs> it is? I don't think so. No. Oh. I think it's Sounds where like the that. villagers would have met. Nazi hill. <laughs> <laughs> so, Will, tell us how you got started with the jiu-jitsu. So you're working as a PT in the area. You and Jay are eyeballing each other. I don't believe that you didn't. I believe that this is the way it went down, okay? Every time Jay comes in, you're doing squats because Jay can't match you for squats, right? <laughs> and Jay's not doing squats. He's doing chin-ups. He's like, nine, 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 nine. <laughs> a deep burn. <laughs> Staring him down while you're doing it. So my first memories of Jay were him going to put some equipment away from dealing with a client. And, and you because, were like, don't touch my Because stuff. we share the same thing of trying to help, like, ultimately the person get the best out of, like, their hour or, what, like, when they're working out, I said, look, we've got some of this equipment if you want to use it. That, I think that was the first thing I really remember with Jay, where I was like, look, we've got some of this equipment, like, if we're using it, not. But, like, feel free, if you're ever in, use our equipment. That was if it's thing. not too heavy for you. <laughs> That's what you said, right? <laughs> <laughs> you can use my equipment if you can handle it. No, no, no. I said, if you can't reach it, like, just put some steps on to uh, get up to it. Uh, I know some steps out. No, no, so my, my beginning journey of jiu-jitsu... Uh, this is probably going to translate into, well into some of the other topics we're probably going to get onto. So at the time, I was working at the National Badminton Centre. I was a sort of fitness instructor slash personal trainer. And I was suffering with really bad bouts of panic attacks. So on one day before I was signed off for like three months where like I was pretty much homebound, uh, it was actually one of your previous guests, Hayley Carter, had her first day. So one of her first memories of me was like, wow, that Will, he's a bit serious, isn't he? And that was just because, like, I'm literally gone into work and I'm just there and I'm just panic attacks constantly. I cannot get it out of my head. Like a, uh, it's like that song in your head, you can't get out of your head. Baby shark, do, 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 do. Um, and it's just there <laughs> constantly. Parents. But it's almost like a, um, it's like a, a background task on a, a laptop where it's like, right, self-diagnostic, are you okay? And it's like, even if I feel okay, it's like, but I don't feel okay. Let's run the diagnostic again because something has to be wrong. And it's just this whole inward spiral of um, like, I just feel like I'm going to throw up and I get claustrophobic. And I always used to have symptoms of like, I don't like things being around my neck and getting choked. So obviously, jiu-jitsu <laughs> translated really well to that. It was one of those things. But uh, I, f I first started training. So that would have been probably about eight years ago, seven years ago. Um, when I first made my way back to um, being in a working environment, she said, like, look, I think it would be really good for you. So I think I trained for about five or six weeks and then completely unrelated to jujitsu, blew my knee out, tore my ACL. And then I think I've even got a, I went back on an old Facebook story where I think it was like <clears throat> 517 days before I had my operation for my knee. So that's not even the recovery of having the operation. It was like nearly two years before... I had that operated on and then it was the long rehab and then from sort of seeing Jay at the club it was a while where he kind of teased it a bit and I was like you know what I do have my key like I might as well just get back involved and do it again and then 
yeah, the rest is history, as they say. Nice. Back so into it's it. actually Haley that got you into jiu-jitsu? Yeah. So the first time I trained was with Haley and Stuart at Total Grappling. Oh, wow. And that was like, I was completely, I had no idea what was going on. I had seen some things like watching sort of mixed martial arts and things like that. So I was half aware of some of the moves. So like first first session I ever did, I caught someone with an armbar. Yes. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> and then that completely destroyed my understanding and perception of how good I was because I was like oh I must be pretty good at this and then after that just like I remember at the time there was one purple belt there and he had um he had tattoo sleeves on his shins I was like oh, I really like those tattoos I-, I couldn't have told you what he did to me but I got bent every which way I was just constantly tapping and it was like wow I lasted 20 seconds that time <laughs> um but yeah, then after the break, and then it was only when I came back to um, Southern Tribes, I was like, oh, I actually feel like I'm learning and understanding it now. And then that seems to just be a an, an never-ending door of like, do you want to understand a bit more? Open this door. And then there's two more doors in that room. I'm like, oh, God. I and it's just, go. it's forever. There's so many doors that keep appearing where I'm like, oh, what's through this door? Does it help with the anxiety? I don't know if I'm brutally honest. I think there's sometimes when my anxiety plays up, that's just it. It plays up. So putting myself in a horrible position helps me deal with general stress. That's what exercise is. That's what anything is. If you can find your out, um, it helps me deal with stress 100%. But what doesn't help is if I'm finding myself stressed in that position for whatever reason. So I was rolling with um, James Hicks, uh, about a week and a half ago and very quickly he sort of started to put a choke on me and I was like I think I started choking on a bit of my hair as well but then I felt immediately uncomfortable and I've got a bit of a phobia about throwing up and then as he's as he's sort of sinking a choking I'm like right I'm defending it and as soon as I'm like oh there's a little bit of relief there just other arm sinks in and it was just like a it felt like a sort of three minutes of just constant me just fighting for my breath which is not a great place to be like i know i'm safe i know i've got all of this i've got no issues with like the safety there but it's just that internal feeling of not feeling right Mm. and i can't really describe it like i have it over the weirdest thing so one i went to the cinema and i saw the um trailer for top gun (laughs) that triggered me into a panic attack really yeah, because I started thinking like, oh my God, the world's using up all its resources, blah, blah, blah. Just started going into it like a world, uh, like a world cataclysm is something that goes through my mind most days. Oh yeah, you quite did, morbidly as well. You said you didn't want to watch Oppenheimer because of that. Oh yeah, 100% that would trigger me. Yeah. Because that's a very real thing. Like there are nuclear arms in and around the world, whether it's you have no control over what does that mean? People are mad. Things with Putin, things with uh, Kim Jong Il. <laughs> just <laughs> how are? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not going to say Harvey. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's yeah. That's uh, it's interesting. So your anxiety is is kind of deep rooted from a kid. Deep rooted. You so had my first real. My first real recollection was I was at Centre Parks with my family. And then it was just one of those things where like, I'd just get this thought in my head. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to be sick. And then that thought would just keep going on in my head, keep going on in my head, keep going on in my head. And it didn't matter whether I'd eaten or whatever. It was just, right, that was it. It was, it was almost like a glitch where my body then threw up. 
So I had that when I was very young, didn't think too too much of it, almost outgrew it. Then when I was in my teens, I suffered with it when I went to school. So where we used to be in assemblies, in our hall, you used to have to stand. And when I was standing, I had my school tie on and I just started to feel really faint. And I just started to get these thoughts where I'm like, I just don't feel like I can breathe. I don't feel like I can breathe. So then I went to like the matron's office. They called my mum, ended up going home. And then I had like two, three weeks off school where it was just these panic attacks started setting in. And it was like, right, what can get me back into school? Because in that two weeks, she's like, like I'd wake up and say, like, oh, you know, you seem fine. I'd go to school and then instantly it'd be like, right, call my mum, I'm having panic attacks. Like I'm going back home. And she's like, I, I don't understand what's going on. So it's like, how could we find a way of me sort of going back into school? So it was just right, just remove assemblies because that was the trigger that did it for me last time. So if I can stay seated, maybe not be in some crowded spaces, see how we got on with that. Uh, from then on, it was fine. And then as I was finishing off uni, I had a really hard time with the course I had done. It was moved from like sort of one... Um, one location to another but I like it just completely messed up with sort of times and spacings and I I'd just broken up with a sort of long-term girlfriend first girlfriend as well like my whole life just got flipped upside down and then I had really really bad sort of panic attacks where that was the first time I was basically written off from them um I went like I'd struggle to keep food down for the fear of bringing it up and one of my coping mechanisms was I just I'd make myself throw up so I even became bulimic at that point wow and uh yeah I, I don't really know how times change or how I really got out of that but it's just one of those things like I, it's just something I used to tackle head on where right if I'm gonna throw out I'll throw up like that was my attitude I'll just put myself in the uncomfortable position which is probably which led me to things like jujitsu led me to fitness like oh if I train so hard like I might throw up huh, okay like it was just one of those things like it was almost like a way of feeling because Yeah, I don't really know how to explain it, but... Yeah, I get that that would be super hard to explain. How do you find it affects your kind of enjoyment of the sport? Because clearly you enjoy the sport, right? You don't just do it through this kind of desire. No, to... in terms of the enjoyment of the sport, I absolutely love the sport. You Like, if you're ever in a environment that you enjoy, you're going to be happy. The places where I start to come undone is when I'm pushed into more of an environment that's either unfamiliar or starts to trigger me more so which is comps so competition day like as a kid I used to get anxious before rugby like those feelings are going to be natural but for me I don't bear well with that additional stress so I will not eat and I'm just hyper aware and hyper alert to things so first competition I did we were in Hemel the whole build up to it, it's, I'm completely unfamiliar to it. I, I didn't actually think I felt too bad for it, but the whole experience towards getting into the fight, I didn't even realize I was into the fight until like a minute in where the guy's trying to arm by me. And I was like, oh yeah, Christ, like now I need to get on. The worst thing about that was Ryan spoke to me beforehand. He's like, right, here's what this guy's going to do. He's going to pull guard and do this and do that. And I remember like the first evening, he's like, oh wow, he did do exactly what you said. Didn't defend any of it. Just literally just got flipped up, bent up, tried to get an arm bar, escaped it. And then he just, I think, flipped around and got, got one on the other side. But then when we did the one in Milton Keynes, like 
the experience of like, right, you're on map three and then it's delayed and then it was brought forward. I had no warm up. So I was on the, I, I entered into both absolute. So open weight category and my weight category, which is, um, the overweight category. Um, Chris knows. <laughs> so I like to call it, I the think big I was called category. to the absolutes first. And as soon as I was called to the absolutes, I was also called to my, uh, weight division as well. So I literally went from one mat to the other. And in the first fight, we literally went, like from zero to a hundred straight away. And I don't, I don't personally train my body like that, or I'm not used to it. Cause that is something where it's like that control just boom, I'm out of breath. That scares me where I just don't feel like I can recover and breathe in something like fitness. You are the one that controls that. So I know I can just pause and take some big, deep breaths. I can mechanically put myself in a position that's favorable to breathing. Jiu-jitsu, not so much. You can have someone on top of you. And so about, a minute and a half into the fight, I was panicking and that panic continued. And I even said to Jay after the fight, you know, if he went to sink a submission in, I was ready to tap. Like I didn't want to be there. Um, fought through and ended up winning on points, went straight into another fight. And that full five minutes were just a blank. I think I took the guy down and I stayed on top of him, but in my head, I'm just having panic attacks. And I'm like, I want to do jujitsu because I want to be thinking about jujitsu and enjoying that in the moment where all I felt like I was doing was just being in a stressed position, which I didn't want to be in. Yeah. So like, I, I chose to walk away at that point. Okay. So you won your two matches, but you didn't finish the comp? No. I think I was like maybe quarters in one of them and whichever round in the other. But it was one of those I didn't want to face going back in because my mindset is not in the right place. So I'm yeah. still in a position at the moment where I don't know if comps are for me. So I re-entered the uh, comp- local competition in Milton Keynes this year and I had the exact same experience of I'm trying to keep myself calm because I've had some recent negative experiences. I'm aware of them and probably uh, hanging on them a bit too much. But I was like, right, I need to make sure I'm going to warm up for this one and that like I'm physically prepared. Uh, there was like six fights before my fight. They were delayed and I literally walked out. So it was at Stantonbury campus. I've walked out of the uh, sort of leisure center and then, you know, just a, a minute walk up the road is like an Aldi to get some uh, water. And then I've looked at my phone and I was getting called on and I was like, oh, so my match is instant. Straight away, I was like, um, no, nah, I'm not doing it. Because I knew it would just be straight in and this not conditions I wanted to to be in. So my personal battle with comps at this moment is just me and my anxiety because I'm not thinking about what I want to at the time. Yeah. And it's like a really hard thing to explain. So like, are either of you two scared of heights? Yeah. Right. So imagine doing everything at ground level and then me taking you up high into the sky and going right now, do it. Like you just have something there where you're aware of heights and it's inhibiting you. And that's me with my anxiety. But it's not like I can say, oh yeah, it's because I'm this high. It's just, it's like, um, it's like a chameleon. It's just, it's there, but I don't know what the thing is there that's triggering it. Yeah. That's interesting. Do you think there's a jujitsu fix to that? Do you think as you get further down the ranks and you become more comfortable with your ability to control the situation? Because the problem I think as a, as a white belt, especially, you get into a bad spot. You don't necessarily have the toolbox to get yourself out of it. Your confidence in your ability to escape poor positions is probably lower than it would be if you were higher in the in the ranks, right? You know, whether or not you get those opportunities is neither here nor there, but like mentally, you know, 
as someone who's trained a long time, that if you get into a bad spot, there are things that you can do. Whereas not every white belt feels like they have the skills that they need to escape, say, getting pinned in Mount or whatever, or North-South. I, I get that, but I don't think that's the stem of my issues. So I don't think it's a position. I'm not worried like if I'm in a submission hold that's like something's going to break or tear. It very much is just me feeling comfortable in my own skin in that moment. And yeah. I don't think any level of skill I have is going to affect that. I've had similar things where... I've done fitness solidly for 10 years. I will still have panic attacks when I work out because I might just push too hard. And it's just one of those things where it just happens. So like, you know, you go out too heavy and you're just trying to catch the breath and I'm just like, oh, oh, no, like this is like. Yeah, it's not a physical problem because you're able to push really hard, really hard. It's whether you can, I guess, deal with that up here rather than you know physically mm. it's, it's mad it's an odd thing like oh everyone will always have their own perceptions of how they deal with things processes of you know like the blotch test where it's like here is a blob but like what do you see from this the Rorschach. and like everyone everyone can have their own ideas of like even now i don't feel like i can uh articulate what i'm trying to say um I don't know how I process things and lead to conclusions. So it's like, right, if if A happens, then B happens, and C happens. I think I've just got something jumbled up. I, I don't know. Like I will fall back on the same issues, which is almost like a defense mechanism when I'm uncomfortable to a certain extent, which is like hyper-stressed. But some days I can be stressed out over something that's very minimal. Other days I could have the world thrown at me and be okay. I, I can't pinpoint it. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, I, I do emotionally see, unstable, probably. <laughs> yeah, I, I do see you have up and downs in the gym, of course, massively. Uh, and and I'm well aware of when you are up or down. There's different things that will, will trigger that. Um, sometimes it's just I think sometimes there's a slump you might be in. I think there's a significance of like what weight something carries as well. Yeah. Um, I hope you guys appreciated the fitness-based pun. Uh, <laughs> it was not intentional, but then I was aware halfway through saying it. I thought, oh, that's pretty clever. And then I've just announced it to you all. Um, but let's say like a certain action happens. I might make that carry so much more weight than is necessary. But for whatever reason, like it just feels that way to me and I cannot get away from that feeling. Yeah. And then that's the thing that drags me down because it can be something where it's like, look, Whatever happens, you just accept it. But yeah, it's still, I make, I think I give things a lot more baggage than is required. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, uh, I think that's fair, mate. I think that's fair. But you know, it, it weighs differently on everyone, doesn't it? Different things weigh different things for different people. Um, but it's okay. It's fine. We just did some more jujitsu or something. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Do you see yourself sticking with the sport? Until I, you're yeah, like I don't. Yeah, no, belt? yeah, I'll be dead. I, I, black belt's not my black belt's not my goal. Like it's just continuing it. I, I don't want to set myself goals of like achieving certain belts. Apart from purple, I will get my purple one day, and then that like I will do it just for the love of doing it. Like I want to get better at the sport. Yeah. What color of a belt around my waist doesn't dictate how good I am at the sport? You're not big into belts, color. Um, again, it's like, what does a blue belt mean to you? What does a brown belt mean to you? It's, 
I don't think it signifies someone's skill. I think you can go to several clubs, see someone with a certain colour belt and it doesn't make a difference. Like you could put them against someone else's different colour belt somewhere else and, you know, you'd say that their jiu-jitsu is fairly evenly matched. So who's what belt? Which one's the correct one? I think someone's skill is just their skill. You're then trying to make an attachment and put them into a category. box of... Yeah, a category, which I don't really... I want to avoid thinking about that because otherwise I will get wound up with things like that. I do think there's a belt block kind of mentality sometimes where people see the belt and they react to it depending on what belt it is. Um, there's no validation. It's like loads of people will chase a goal thinking, right, I will be happy when I have X, when I have Y, but they don't understand that that's just a placement. Like you're not, it's not the process. Jiu-Jitsu is a process. It's every day. It's not when you reach one day, this is unlocked. Oh, and now you have an understanding of this. It's a constant progression. Uh, if someone is uh, competing for a belt or they win a competition or they don't. So in the fitness industry or in fitness, everyone's always chasing. I want to be this way. I want to be that way thinking, oh, I'm now this way and I'm happy now. But you're not like you're still living your life every day. But it's just what are the conditions you've, you're there with? And I think people put too much emphasis going, if I get this, then then I'll be happy. Mm. But you're not really aware of everything else that's gone. Yeah, there's it. too much emphasis on that that supposed end goal, that, that trophy at the end, which doesn't really exist because you're never happy truly. How do you that. feel now that you're champion? It's no different. Yeah, you might feel all right for a day and then you're back to normal because no one cares. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, about, it's a classic, enjoy the journey, not the destination. Always. And this is this is it. You have to enjoy the journey. If, you, if you're in it just for the destination, it doesn't. It, there's going to there's gonna be something quite shallow because there's always something else to chase. There's always something else to do. Regardless of what belt you are, regardless of what competition you win, there's always something else, isn't there? Always. In terms of fitness, you hit this lift. Whether it's weight or the technique, you hit it. What's next? What do you do with that? There's so many different ways to progress it and you're never going to be happy, which is good. You shouldn't be happy with, with that. You should continue to just want to progress and better yourself. As long as you're better than the week before, the month before, the year before, I think that's all that matters. And the process is bettering. You, No matter what you do, one heroic effort today is not going to outdo the like consistent efforts of today, tomorrow, the yep. day after for a week. This that's always going to be the, like, the superior way to go. And that's one of those things where I think a lot of people from a fitness perspective will go for that one hero workout, absolutely give everything, destroy themselves thinking, oh, you know, that's a massive tick box for me. But then they've written themselves off for three or four days where they can't do anything. You're talking to Jay directly now, I can tell. <laughs> no, no, yeah. no. That was just... Are you, have you spoken to Jay about fixing his peg leg? <laughs> the little leg. Have you spoken to Jay about how he's going to fix his... I feel like I'm a little lost right skinny now. Skinny leg. You know Jay's got a skinny leg. Are we talking about his knee? He's got one skinny leg and one strong leg. Because of his knee? No, just because of in general, right? It's always been like that, hasn't it? No. What, the it's knee injury no, that, no, the knee no, injuries no. start... He's, he's unable to buffer the buffer it now. So it's kind of like... If you've got like a niggle in your shoulder when you're yeah. doing jiu-jitsu and like people are trying to sort of uh, put you in an Americana, like for so long you've been able to handle it and then only now it's really causing you an issue. But you know you've had the issue for like 10 years, but there's now been so much wear and tear where it's not been in the best condition. Now now it's an issue. That's what's happening. So this is knee. my question. How do you manage that now then? First and foremost, don't put yourself in 
frequent positions of pain. You have to manage the range of motion that you feel comfortable with. And it's keeping a foundation of movement in there. So doing more rehab stuff, higher volume, you're working all of the tissues around it as opposed to just muscle. So doing like larger rep schemes to work like the connective tissues in and around the joint and the knee will be the most beneficial. There you go. No knee box, Chris. That's, did you hear that from that? So not one-legged squats and stuff like that. Oh, no, yeah, that as well. That, that, would, be, that would be the like tiered progressions. But where we've said at the very start, everything is relative. I can't say right, this movement is the move that will do it because I don't know where that is in intensity level for him. But intensity is always scalable. When um, people get old, you will have to do a test to see whether you're independent or not. And that is you have to sit down and stand up from a chair X amount of times in, say, 30 seconds, and they'll get you to walk to the other side of the room and not. If you cannot do it within a certain time you aren't really seen as fit to be independent. Fitness is an exaggeration of reality. So that sitting down and standing up is a squat. We can add weight to that. It's still the same movement. You are bending at the legs and the hips, standing back up, and then walking, locomotion. Is it walking? Is it running? You find your intensity. The danger for someone when they're that age is if that is too intense. So with Jay's... Um, knee we are finding like sort of that intensity where it's probably going to be like a six or a seven it's not loading anything else other than just sort of being a quad dominant movement just try and keep his knee strong I'd say probably things like uh, reverse sled pulls actually yeah that'd be good wouldn't it really but it's good. just emphasising a certain movement and creating a bias <laughs> on the muscle yeah it's just the whole thing has to be strengthened up but now we know what the problem is and me doing rehab and strength work on it isn't going to make the problem worse. We know it can only better it. The issue before is, is it going to make the issue worse? It is not. Because this is going to be a common co uh, problem that a lot of jiu-jitsu people are going to have, right? They're going to have sp very specific injuries. Like I've got one shoulder that is better than the other in terms of I feel pain in my left shoulder, not really ever in my right shoulder. Um, so I think it's interesting to think about how people sort of mitigate that with the sort of work that they're doing in the gym. I think your leg is a good example. It's a good example. It's a bit unique for... Don't let people knee bar it. It would be example number one. Good training you, partners. You, ha you have the opportunity to tap at any given point. So if you have your own personal you injuries, do. you have a way of getting out of it straight away. So if you have one good arm and one bad arm, yeah, don't let your bad arm get exposed to certain positions. Uh, with general movement or aches and pains, you have 24 hours every day that is contributing to that position. It's not just what you do in jiu-jitsu or in fitness that's going to be affecting that. It can be what do you do for work, the positions you're in, if you're in a car for so long, potentially how you sleep. Your body is always in a your body is always trying to adapt and be more consistent with the positions you're putting it in. So people that sit a lot tend to have tighter hips, which then affects their squats. It then affects how their hips move. So that more that more often than not means that you're probably going to get knee problems. The knee is a hinge joint which just bends and straightens. If you have knee pain, are you telling me your knee isn't bending and straightening properly? You're putting too much stress on there where movements are a sequence or a chain of things that... Um, are transferring force. You are just putting too much force in one of those links and going, oh, the problem is this link doesn't take this stress. 
It's like, no, that's like having a task force and putting all of the workload on one person and you're identifying that person. It's like, oh, the work's not getting done. That person's not doing it. So no, that's doing all the work when it shouldn't be. That should be the person who's almost at rest and everyone else should be taking the slack. Yeah, it's, um, my injury is not jujitsu related. It, I, I have been injured in jujitsu, but my, my chronic injury isn't jujitsu related. Mine was only an acute injury. Am I right in thinking so from military marches, things like that? This is a um, load of high, high volume and it's like you, you're just expending. Yeah, high volume impact. But how many things that you do with that were help were helping you to achieve that? So if you're doing high volume, you want your ankles. Uh, sorry, if you're doing high weight bearing, the first point of contact with the ground is your feet. So are your ankles being assisted in loading that weight or are they restricted because you're in shit boots? Um, both. So they're likely to have, I, I had a real specialist boot uh, made by Altberg. Not just me, but a lot of us had a specialist boot. The back of the boot, so your typical military boot is leather all the way up through the ankle. So it holds it all together once you strap it in place. We had leather, but soft leather at the back of the boot so you could kneel to shoot. So there's a lot of flex there. So the boot was specifically made for military. Yes, it supported the ankle, but the ankle... So you wouldn't roll your ankle. So it wouldn't go uh, laterally, but you could move... You, you got a lot of dorsiflexion with it. The problem is, is the repetitive load. And you all carry the same weight. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how much you weigh. Everyone carries the same weight. So I guess the average person... I don't know what the average person weighs in the military. I have no idea. Yeah, uh, but, you know, whatever load i had to carry if you load me with 25 kilos it's a larger percentage of 25 kilos for chris for example would it affect chris as much i don't know maybe maybe not you're already putting more weight through your joint but your joint is probably stronger than mine in general because of your size you are built differently to me of course um but yes yeah, a repetitive impact so most people at jiu-jitsu won't have worn down cartilage they'll have tendon issues or ligament issues where things get torqued and stretched beyond their capacity Whereas they're not loading that joint repetitively like I was. They are extending and uh, flexing that joint repetitively instead. Or well, it's getting torn off. Do you think a contributing factor that to that could be that whilst your boot was limiting in one way but allowing movement in another, it's actually forcing your shin to move in a very specific direction. So if you're if you're going on uneven surfaces was your foot always straight forward? Was it slightly turned out, which then is forcing your shin at a different angle and then your knee has to then almost get torqued with that and that's the build-up on the knee. Possibly. Um, I know it was all heel striking. So my running is, is ball, I, I land ball to midfoot. With the boots and the loaded marches, you just can't do that. You, you have to heel strike. So rather than having the the, the calf, the quad and the glutes take the impact of, of each strike, it's now my knee, my hip, my back. And it has to go to that to carry that much weight. So it's a solid impact point, which isn't good in the joints. Like if anyone here is listening and you're standing up, you're not sitting down, you're in a car, if you jump up, look at where you land. You land on the balls of your feet. Now jump and land on your heels. There's a much bigger impact that goes through the body, which is how most people run now because of the thick heel on the trainer. Most people heel strike because of the trainer forcing them to. And it's very much the same in the military. You are forced to heel strike if you have to run a lot because of the shape of the boot, because of the load you're carrying. Are you supposed to do that when you're running? What? Endurance running? Heel strike? No. If you're wearing a running shoe? No. 
No. No, it's a bit of a myth. See, I so thought because people do, they've dealt with the symptom. Oh, people really feeling it when they smash their heels down. Let's put the thick padding there. So then they don't feel it. So there are runners that will literally run holes through their knees because they can't feel the impact, but it's still transferring through to their shin. And then the force is getting expended into their knee. Mm. So it's Bill Bellman, the co-founder of Nike, that created the thick heel on a running shoe, yeah. thinking that if you overstride, you can land on your heel and roll through. And it really took off. Is mad, really, and that's uh, you know that's crazy. But no, you, if you so it's go, it's not good running mechanics to land heel first. No, you should. No, so your body is built to absorb all the shock it needs to, moving in the right way. If you are absorbing shock when you shouldn't be, you're probably not moving well enough to then to then put something else on the body that's going to help take over that function. Move your body better. Why? Why do you need to? bring something else on board. So if your posture isn't great, why do you need to wear some weird backpack that's pulling your shoulders back? Like that's an external thing that's doing the work for you. You need to address the issue. You need Nothing to address the external is actually helping you deal with the issue. You need to be able to have that control yourself. I completely agree. Uh, very much like orthotics. They get over-prescribed in my opinion. Completely orthotics. agreed. I don't know what that is. Uh, insoles in your sh- shoe. So ah, where people... Right, okay, yeah. So if you have a bridge, so... Uh, I can demo it for Chris's sake, but I'll try and do it with my hand. If you plant your foot on the floor, push your big toe into the floor, try and turn your knee out wide. As you turn your knee out wide, you'll feel like the inside of your foot raise up. There's your classic bridge position. If you now try and turn (coughs) your knee inwards, you now have a collapsed arch and your foot is flat. So are you flat footed or do you have an arch? I've got an arch. Well, so you're just predominantly that's where your foot sits with the, the structure and everyone should have an arch yeah. and how the force goes through the body is kind of dictated by that but when people have a flat foot rather than training the body to be in a good position and raise that fit, foot they mechanically put it in there by going right let's put this orthotic in there to raise the foot up so that you can now push down against it so we do use that to an extent in the fitness industry to assist you so if you have very limited ankle range that's going to become a limited factor with something like a squat. So if we can then artificially give you that by putting your feet on like a slant of some degree, you can still keep the weight in the heels so that you're loading the posterior chain more than like putting the pressure through your knees. And then that allows you to go deep into the squat. So there are benefits to it, but that's to help you train more often than not. People will go, I have X problem. I will introduce this product and then that's my problem solved but they're just dealing with the symptom as opposed to the cause. Like effectively like putting a knee brace on rather than dealing with what's going on. Exactly. With yeah. If I compress my knee, my knee doesn't hurt as much and you're effectively adding another layer of buffering. So from a young age, everyone physiologically has an amazing capacity to buffer the challenges we put them through. How many people at 18 suffer from hangovers? Hardly anyone. As you age, your capacity to buffer and withstand the rubbish we put our body through gets less and less and less. And then it's, you know, you will just feel it more. It takes longer to recover. And then that's where you then start to show more and more symptoms because you just can't buffer that pain. And then the symptoms sort of become too much. So I feel like that's what's happened with Jay's knee. Like he's been able to, uh, it's not great. I've got a, like a level four discomfort or whatever it is. And then it's just got to a point now where it's like, I'm feeling it too much. I really need to get it checked out. I did. And it's all good. Okay. So you got nothing to do with no warm ups either. <laughs> 
What are your thoughts on jujitsu warm-ups? <laughs> to what extent? What I can say, P2 well is, you know, reluctant to answer this question, but I noticed he doesn't warm up when we have sessions. You're never like, oh, I need to do a few back rolls and <laughs> stuff like that. I need to do a few sprints. I've never seen you shrimp. <laughs> do you but, think people but, should so be warming the context, up? In general, yes. For, but you you need to understand the context of your body and how you're doing. So if I was going to roll with random people, do I feel like I should warm up first? Yes. But I'm comfortable with you. I know that we can go at a certain level of intensity where I'm not putting my body at risk and I feel comfortable. So I I can put myself in that. How many people, like, you don't go to run for a bus and think, oh, no, let me just warm up first. Like, some things are just, they have to happen, and your body should be ready to do that. Uh, sometimes I think we are a bit precious in how we have to do things in terms of a prep, that it could almost be a, a hindrance, because you feel like, oh, no, I can't do this because I have to warm up. Yeah. But from the premise of what do I think of jujitsu warm-ups, well, depending on the class, depending on what's going over, do you do solo drills? Do you warm up with... Um, sort of partner drills and just light some sort of technical things you know each to their own I think they all have a benefit they all have um, limitations and you just everyone's different you find what's best for you this is it everyone's different I'd recommend everyone does do some sort of warm up but I won't I was going to say I noticed Jay started skipping the warm ups now he's got that purple belt do as I say not as I do <laughs> it's coach's mantra mate Speaking of fitness coaching, so you guys are very much both into, you know, training people to be the best version of themselves, you know, function over appearance. You must have people that Instagram you or they come into the gym and they say, I want to look shred city. I want to have a six pack. I want to lose a pound or lose a stone or whatever. What conversation are you having those people with those type of clients? Do you do you take them on and try and change their mindset or do you encourage them to look for a different type of personal trainer? I think for the most part, when you have a conversation with someone, uh, so if you were to have a fitness goal now, what's your fitness goal? Do a muscle up? Yeah, muscle up. Right, why is a muscle up important to you? Because I think a muscle up, it shows a strength to power ratio, which is really what I want. In, in terms of strength to weight ratio. Right? So if you could do a muscle up, what would that mean to you? I think that would mean that I was at the sort of optimum sort of weight for my sport. I think for me, a muscle up shows that, you know, any of those type of sort of body weight exercises shows that I have an appropriate body weight for the amount of strength that I have. So that's why I would want to do something like that. Do you think someone could be disproportionate in that though and have all of the upper body strength and no leg strength to just be able to do a muscle up? Yeah, I get that. Yeah, yeah. So you're looking to add the muscle up as well as maybe anything else? So what else would constitute that where you're like, right, I'm at the optimal? I think if I was going to come in now, I would say I want an appropriate percentage body fat I want to be around about 100 kilos because it makes sense for jiu-jitsu for me to be about 100 kilos. Um, and I want to be able to do those exercises like muscle-ups that I associate with people that have um, just a very good all-round level of fitness. You know, I'm not concerned about how much I can deadlift really as long as I can deadlift enough that I feel like it's enough to complement my jiu-jitsu. You know, it doesn't matter to me whether it's, you know, two times my body weight necessarily. 
I need to be able to deadlift, you know, enough so that when I'm standing and breaking guard that, you know, I feel like my body is armoured for that. Those would be my personal goal. So for me, talking to a prospective client, I want to understand why those things are important to them and if I can buy into that. So if it's something that I feel comfortable with where I'm like, right, I get your reason, I understand why you're going for it, I can feed into that because I now have almost a direct, uh, I have a metric to measure what we are doing by. So do you feel your deadlifts complement your jujitsu in that sense? And we can come up with that measurement. It doesn't matter what number is, but I know what we're buying into and we can then um, go by that. If I feel that our values do not align, I would then probably send them elsewhere. Because sometimes when they do come to you, they're already telling you what they want and how they want it. And then that's something I've learned over the years that ultimately I am I am my own boss. So this is my opportunity to shape fitness how I see it. So if you see fitness like me, similar to how Jay sees it in, in terms of like its performance over aesthetic, you've told me everything there was performance-based. I'm with that. If you just want to look good and it's just reaching this just because you want to look good or for someone's opinion. Probably not for us. Yeah. But we know some other PTs that can help you, right? I understand because you, you, know, you, you mentioned uh, a weight drop, but it wasn't because you want to look a certain way. It's specific to fighting in a certain category. It's yeah. optimal performance, isn't it? It's strength to weight ratio. And the thing is, I would be okay with, if I, let's say I started the gym training and I would be okay with saying, you know, I'm actually going to be 120 kilos if I felt I was at the optimum weight. And for me, something like the muscle up is a benchmark for that. And I get that may not be a very good benchmark, but as someone who doesn't actually have necessarily the background in fitness to understand like for me i'd say well if i'm 120 kilos and i can still do a muscle up then you know i'm pretty you could do a muscle up now you 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 100 have the power to do a muscle up now it's hitting the technique right but it's it's just having that sequence of it which is where we'd potentially have a little bit of coaching through it uh i can't remember what i was gonna say (laughs) it was definitely it was definitely a point on um So when you've come up with like, right, you want to do a muscle up, one thing you want to do is actually challenge someone's reasoning for it. Because if they do have a very shallow reason, sometimes what they want isn't like, they have to have a why for it. And it's sometimes uh, one exercise you can do is like really get to into the depths of like, right, when you say you want a goal, why is that important? Because the roots of why that is important might be away from what your actual goal is. I think I know why. Because I don't want Jay to be able to do it if I can't do it. <laughs> That's a pretty solid why. <laughs> so Jay we have, to, yeah, we, we have two possible solutions then. So one is obviously sort of break Jay's arm. N- yeah. <laughs> Well, that's just that's just ruined my, my joke for the second part of it. So yeah, brilliant. I've been trying. <laughs> oh. But I always tap it, let's go. He's always tapping, yeah. <laughs> never let it snap off, mate. Just never let it snap. I'm gonna do, I'm gonna get that arm so you can't do any more muscle ups. <laughs> it's all technique based, man. You can do a muscle up now. I can assure you that I can't right now. So you, you funnily enough. Can. I think the thing that was potentially lacking in your muscle up, as much as you think it's like an upper body pulling move, where it's a sequence, is potentially getting your hips to engage at the right times. 
So as you pull up and pull this the bar, that's, that's what Lou said. <laughs> <laughs> She's been speaking to you guys. I've told her not to text my friends. <laughs> yeah, dur- during the act. Lou, put it down. <laughs> Doing my best there. <laughs> She's filming me. <laughs> There's something wrong. <laughs> She listens to the podcast, by the oh, way. Oh, yeah. So. <laughs> Sorry, Lou, that's crass. <laughs> that is. That did bring me on a subject that I did want to talk about, if you're willing. Yeah. I want to ask you about your balls. Yep. So, <laughs> <laughs> there's a reason for this. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, leading on, so there's been someone else on the podcast that's had similar issues, which was a shock to hear. So, I sort of reached out to him afterwards as well. So, Ross experienced something similar. So a little bit more backstory into me where it relates as well. Uh, Prior to me being conceived, my father had testicular cancer. He had testicular cancer at a stage where uh, the sort of interventions were not as strong as they were. And he actually had a 30-70 survival rate given to him when they first diagnosed it because it had spread quite aggressively. So 30% chance he'd survive, 70% chance he wouldn't. So he's gone from being sort of fully functional. So where he had testicular cancer, he was given radiotherapy in the small of his back. Because it was targeted targeted in that area, he's had muscular degeneration as part of that. Um, obviously, he survived, but there, there was no chances of really any, um, like he should not have been able to conceive. So people joke saying, oh, you know, are you the milkman's? He was the milkman, so probably the postman. Um, but he was also born with an undescended testicle, I believe. I was born with both of my testes undescended. So that immediately puts you at a greater risk for having a testicular cancer later on in life. I had an operation when I was 18 months to bring one down. And I believe the doctor, surgeon, whoever my parents were dealing with said, look, the other one should come down naturally. At the age of six, I then had the other one surgically brought down. And it's only in later life that there's more of a medical understanding now that there's um, my testes didn't really develop properly. So I have undersized testes and believe it or not, probably not as much testosterone as I probably should have had because they were underformed or like for hormone balance. I mean, that could be one of the things that kind of contribute to my mind with um, sort of the lack of hormones or sort of, yeah, my, uh, my maturing. When I was 18 and at university, I found a lump. I didn't really know what to do, but sort of my dad's the one with experience. So I showed it to my dad, showed it to my mum. I was originally diagnosed with testicular cancer. Uh, when they went to do the op, uh, it, it was a really weird experience because at that time, it's things like, I wasn't an age where I really knew about kids or what I wanted to do. So the whole thing kind of gets brought into question. But they did a biopsy at the time. Thankfully, it um, it wasn't cancerous. So they basically removed the lump from one testy. So if you want to know the details, guys, I basically have one testy now that's shaped like a kidney bean. Probably about the same size as well. Um, then about five, six years down the line, there was another lump. When I then got that seen to... Uh, that was cancerous and it literally was operation cut and gone but because of the history of what I had I had no idea whether I'd be able to have kids or not so my fertility was in question they wanted me to um, try and have a sample frozen which is great 
but they were telling me this just before I was about to go under the knife. So I was like, right, so what do I do? I don't know how invasive this cancer is or like what's going on. So it's either, you know, do I delay that at potentially my own life to try and pursue fertility or so I went through with the op sort of there and then, and then afterwards pursued fertility. Um, and then unfortunately, or when you go on TRT, so I am currently on TRT and have been because as a personal trainer, age 24, I had the testosterone levels of like a 70 year old man. So, you know, I'd watch my client do five squats and I'd be like, I need a nap. It's, it wasn't for my lifestyle. Like I, it was something that I need to have in. So I now have mine regulated. So I now know my hormones are within the natural levels that they should be. Um, but as a byproduct of that, that then almost destroys my chances of fertility if I remain on them. So I did have some sperm frozen prior to going on TRT, but that was a whole uh, ordeal in itself. So when you have your sperm frozen on the NHS, they said like, look, we will keep it frozen for, um, I think it was one year. And then after that, here's the amount you pay to keep it frozen year on year. At that stage, you know, lots of things are going on. I had no idea what was going to go on with the fertility um, I have no idea. So later on down the line, let's say I want to go through IVF. Do I then pay for IVF or is that still part of it? Like I didn't know any of those details, but they said, look, at the end of the first year, it's like 180 pounds per year to keep your sperm frozen. Right. Okay. So first year goes and then we're like, oh yeah. So we're now due to um, have your sperm frozen. They wanted 280 quid. So I was like, well, hold on a minute. Like, how have the prices increased? I challenged them on it. And then after a year of battling, questioning them on it, and they were like, look, just pay us the money and then we'll deal with this complaint after. And she just went, you know, fuck off. Like, I'm, I don't want to deal with this stress. So um, I have massive question marks over my own uh, fertility now. I'd, like, I think if I have to pursue it, I'd have to go off TRT, which isn't great from a owning a business perspective because I don't know how my energy levels and things like that would cope with it. But, um, when, oh, I don't even know how to even really bring this up. I want to try and make it a bit more cheerful, but, uh, so where I have had one testy removed, uh, I was given a prosthetic and in terms of being given the prosthetic, I, at the time, I'm in the um, doctor's office with my girlfriend at the time and my mum. Obviously, you can imagine they're both very uh, emotional about it. And it just seemed surreal to me. I didn't really get it. So when they were like, oh, you know, prosthetic ones, I was just like, oh, brilliant. Give me an elephant one. Like, massive one. The biggest that they do. Oh, 100%. They, they do these gold prosthetics plated. in different sizes, do they? Yeah. So I think there's three different sizes. So <laughs> okay. I don't really remember, like much more being discussed but they did from the op they did put a prosthetic in and afterwards i was like oh jesus like they really did put an elephant one in this is <laughs> massive and um when i sort of said to the surgeon he's like oh no no that's the smallest one like yours are really undersized so we had to try and match it up i was like i bet that oh. made you feel great oh it really doesn't so like <laughs> if you can do your best imagine the people's eyebrow and then imagine Gizmo from the uh, Muppet Babies doing that. That's basically what my testes look like. <laughs> and my penis. <laughs> they're, they're, it's not the same size or shape. Let's see. <laughs> it's fine. You've already seen it. Yeah. 
We've already seen. There it. are some pictures of Will upside down in the gym, and you just see it poking through a bit, can't you? <laughs> no, so, <laughs> there was a there was a um, so I did like a parody of. I put myself in a handstand position. I was like, oh, I'm going to go through some uh, progressions for handstands. So I go into a handstand position and then I'm like, right, when you feel comfortable enough, you can progress to like shoulder taps. So you can progress to going on one arm or my personal favorite, a no armed handstand. So I lift both my arms up off the floor. I'm hanging upside down. So like I've got my feet hooked over a bar, but you can only see me from like the knees down. So it's, it's kind of more of a joke of like, yeah, double arm touch. And um, yeah, unbeknownst to me at the time, as I'm hanging upside down, there's a little bit more that can be revealed. So you can see all three of my legs. It's like, well, I'm still going to put that out there. So there's, there's like, um, you know, I sent it, I sent it to like my family group. So it's like, oh, you know, what do you think of this video? So my mum's like, oh, darling, that's amazing. And then my sister's like, yeah, well, like, we can see your penis. <laughs> <laughs> and then my mum's like, oh, 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 yes, you can. I was like, oh, okay. Whack that up on social media then. <laughs> That's available on your OnlyFans. <laughs> <laughs> it's currently free. Uh, offer ends 1st of October. <laughs> when does this go out? Oh, Friday. Friday. I mean... Just before, yeah. So you've got yeah. the weekend to uh, get get those... Uh... 29th of September, this goes out. <laughs> Let's get everyone can look. Everyone, every photo will just look at his penis. <laughs> Thanks for sharing that. Not the uh, picture of your penis, but, you know, I think it's... <laughs> You know, it is one of those. We've said like, it before. People don't want to talk about it. There's, there's, there's definitely a thing where, like, from my own personal experiences, it's just surreal. You like, I think you can weigh things up to what your experience should be or how you feel something could be in that moment, and then there's the feeling of what it is. So we kind of touched on it earlier. So, right, your goal is to lose weight. How will you feel when you've lost that weight and then you reach that weight, but then your feelings haven't changed? So then you've kind of it almost seems a little bit misplaced. It was very bizarre. None of it really felt real. And I had a real, I don't really want to say an easy experience, but I like, I didn't have any chemo, didn't have any anything. It literally was, I got put to sleep and then something was taken out of me. I have no idea. My whole sort of growing into an adult, I don't know how much that was affected. And I've got nothing to base it off of. I've only got my own experience. So I don't know what could have been or what was potentially supposed to be uh i think there's a lot of cases where people just think oh you know i will be all right and i think you when you start reaching sort of your 30s your it's one of those things where if you leave something like that you are just creating more and more danger for yourself you really should be checking yourself on a regular basis um, for those that do feel a bit self-conscious, I can give you guys my number. If they want me to come round and uh, <laughs> double check for them, I am more than happy to. A reasonable price. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's reasonable actually price. cheaper than the PT. <laughs> it is. The side hustle really is super doing expensive. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know exactly what I'm doing. But no, it is something genuinely. And then if any of the lady listeners here as well with their partners, yeah, like check them as well. I and mean, equally like for um, women's breasts, like, check we'll yourself check like you 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 should be aware of your body i genuinely think when you get past your 30s you should probably be having some form of like scan every so often just to make sure there's not something underlying that can get worse so that you can have that intervention there and then it, when you life can get very busy especially as you get older and you have more responsibilities and i think that's where like especially your health 
you are first and foremost the person responsible for your health. You are the one that puts food in your mouth. You are the one that goes to sleep. They are your choices. Yes, there might be some sort of parameters that might be inhibiting you. Like, so, right, I'd love to be eating steak, but you don't have the money. Yeah, fine. But ultimately, you are the one responsible. If you try to call your GP and can't get hold of your GP, you can't just go, oh, well, I've tried and like, it's the GP's fault. No, you have to hassle. You have to be the one because it's your health. You have to be the one that gives a shit the most. Yeah, 100%. That's true. And uh, better than average, we are running a clinic soon to check breasts and testicles. <laughs> so uh, line up for that. <laughs> if Jay reaches out to you, this is not an approved thing. <laughs> do not do not answer those messages. Okay. <laughs> Chris has got small hands. It's fine. I've got tiny hands. Yeah. Mine are smaller so than yours. So all right? testicles and boobs are big to Chris. <laughs> so so don't feel self Small, very <laughs> soft hands. <laughs> so going back to Russell Brand. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, that conversation is going to come out next week. We'll discuss it in great detail and the the, the legal case we will not discuss at all for these alleged. Um, Accusations. <laughs> so yeah, removing ourselves away from that conversation. Mm. Does Lou ever say anything about being like kids' hands to you? About me having small hands? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Does she not feel weirded out by that? No, she's not mentioned it. No. Like in, um, <laughs> are you thinking of um, Deadpool? <laughs> <laughs> to an extent. <laughs> his hand gets cut off. He's like, oh, I'm going to have a wank with this really small hand. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Because if not, Chris, when do you have to go work? Pretty soon. Like 10 minutes ago. (laughs) Pretty soon. What time do you start work? (laughs) Pretty soon. (laughs) (laughs) So I won't won't take up any more of your time, but in terms of just a general fitness thing, fitness is for everyone. You find your, your level and the biggest thing is it's a process and it's a routine. For people that are like, oh, you know, I need to go to to spin class. Uh, If you do like a spin class or a Peloton for one hour, three times a week, I know it's not a case of like calories you burn, but you will expend more energy doing 10,000 steps seven days a week than you will doing the um, Peloton. So it's not those heroic efforts. There's like a thing you do throughout the day that's going to make the biggest difference. And that can be it. Going out for a walk is super important. So how many days a week are you doing some sort of physical activity? Is it every day? Or? For the most part, every day. Yeah. That's why but you're it's, a beast. It's how you... <laughs> fitness is just giving you the capacity to then expend it how you want. So I don't think jujitsu is fitness. Jiu-jitsu is a game and how you get to expend that like currency of fitness. So you go paddleboarding, you go rock that. climbing, you go whatever you do it's just giving you the capacity to do it. Like you have that fitness, use it. Freedom. It gives you the freedom to do things you 100%. want to do. 100%. Fitness is freedom. See you. We like, I like that. I feel very inspired. Do you? I mean, motivation lasts for about 10 minutes. So you've got about 10 minutes to, to get in some <laughs> workouts, mate. Run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's going to fade. Yeah, motivation is a myth. There, there was. A, I wish I could really remember the, the quote. But someone said to me, it's like, what'd you get if you uh, motivate an idiot? a motivated idiot like it's just it's just motivation like it's not anything like it's yeah. not everything comes down to discipline like did you do this today yes or no 
Like motivation shouldn't be the reason you do it. And the biggest thing is when you can do something you don't want to do and it's done, you never have an excuse today after where it's like, right, I just understand the process. This is going to be one hour of my time where I might not have my heart in it to begin with. But once I'm here and I'm, I, I get going, you're doing it. And then it's done and, you know, you're, you're fine. You don't need to exp- put like you don't need to redline yourself every single time you go into the gym. You are there for a purpose. If one day you go, actually, like I'm really suffering, like my body doesn't feel great. Right, go to the gym for an hour. And instead of doing your traditional training session, which is like, if you feel great, now that you're not feeling great, why don't you start to look at those issues that you have and go, right, I'm just going to take this light, see how it feels, maybe spend some extra time doing some stretches because that's going to be beneficial for you coming back tomorrow or the day after. So you are putting yourself in the best position to come back and be better in the days after or the forthcoming days. Rather than just looking at the day in itself, in its entirety, it's like, right, how can I best position myself for tomorrow and next week? Where can people find you, Will, if they want to they experience the three pillars? So, yeah. Well, I'm, not experience the yeah. three pillars. I mean, you I, don't all like, so adjacent, uh, adjacent to the um, jiu-jitsu club, uh, you can find me on socials. So the easiest thing to do is find me on Facebook. So my name is William Locke. Uh, and then away from that, it's 3P Coach Will on Instagram. And then you've got the Three Pillars page on both as well. But Facebook I tend first. to put, I do Facebook first because it's just more of the interactions rather than just pictures. Because you're old. Because <laughs> <laughs> you've got very grey hairs. Yeah. <laughs> I'm only joking. Look at Chris. Look at you, mate, calling someone old and tech. <laughs> anyway, Instagram on his phone. And you know our Instagram, better than average pod. Find us on Meta. Yeah. All the books. All, uh? All the Facebooks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All the versions of Facebook. Go on TikTok if you want. I found us on, oh, we're on YouTube as well. We are. I six, mean, six I subscribers I now. I have uploaded. Have we? <laughs> yeah, yeah, only six. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I haven't uploaded anything to YouTube. I've only got our details. You'll have to upload the videos I send you. Can't bother that. Will, thanks for coming on as always. Thank you very much Thank for you, having mate. me, guys. Absolute privilege. And we. I hope any listeners I've not bored you too much or got lost in my own trail of thoughts. <laughs> that happens frequently. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, the meaning of life. Draw a blank. <laughs> just draw a blank. Just gazing into the distance. So we've got this coming out on the 29th yet. Yeah, 29th, and we've got another one coming out a week later. Because I'm not here. No, I'm away on the other side of the world. Philippines. Yep, yeah, I'm a tall person out there. <laughs> You can't wait to be the tallest. Way above average height, mate. So the average height of a Filipino woman, just so you know, is four foot eleven, and the average height of a Filipino man is five foot four. Is it really? Yeah, that's the average. That's the average height. So you're two inches taller than everyone. Stop it. This is funny because there people are meeting me like, oh, you're taller. <laughs> well, that was it. We had the discussion the other week, didn't we? Richie Sunak. I genuinely oh, thought yeah. he was like, like six foot two. Because he just always struck me as someone like, you know how if someone is of a slender build, they just look long. taller. They look so long, you can have they? two people with the similar heights, but if someone's got a slender build, like it just kind of, they so, look taller. Yeah, he looks long relative. and tall, but he's just long and short and pathetic. Yeah, he's, he actually just looks like a small person. <laughs> I, I tagged him in the reel. He didn't, he didn't um, invite, he didn't accept the collaborator pose. <laughs> I'm not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> what a, what a loser you are, Rishi. Will, are you going to sign us up? <laughs> He's not going to. <laughs> He's not going to. So I'm going to sign us out then. Over and out.